Hey everybody, my name's Jake. Good to see you guys. Um, like Jade said, I'm, I'm a pastor at Redemption in Tempe, um, but I actually have been around on this campus for a long time. I met my wife here right in that room right there, Lexi. So um, I love this campus. It's been a big part of my story. Redemption wide has been a big part of my story, and I'm stoked to get to talk to you guys. And today we're going to talk about evangelism, which is something that I get pretty stoked about, um, and I get really uh, passionate about, but I would love to hear before we even kick off, word associations. When you hear the word evangelism, what thoughts come to your mind, emotions, words, just shout some out. Billy Graham. Billy Graham. <laughs> just Billy Graham. <clears throat> Scary. Scary. What emotions come to mind? What do you feel when I say evangelism? Fear. Fear. What else? Insecurity. Insecurity. Confusion. Confusion. Nervous. Nervous. Inadequate. Okay, inadequate, yeah. Pressure. Pressure, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm just going to assume that probably anybody in here who loves Jesus genuinely would like to share that with somebody else. That's just kind of like how I start. Like, I don't think there's a reason why you wouldn't want to. I think a lot of the hangups that we have uh, are really things that can be moved out of the way. But before we jump into it, I wanted to think about, I want you guys to think about the greatest story. So if it helps, close your eyes. I just want you to imagine what story do you most connect with? Book, movie, Video game, TV series, doesn't matter. Just think about the story that you connect the most with. All right, and when you got it in your mind, think about why. Why do you connect with that story the most? Okay. So <clears throat> I'm going to tell you a bit. Uh, I like to tell people I became a Christian because of Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and good role playing video games. And then I love to explain why. So I'll tell you a, a good memory of mine. My parents <clears throat> got divorced, and when my mom, when I was in high school, got remarried, we stayed at this summer house for a little bit, and it was incredibly awkward, and it was like the nail in the coffin that my parents were never going to get back together again. And at the same time, one of the newest Harry Potter books came out, and I was really into Harry Potter, so... I read it, and I would read it in this back room, and I had this vivid memory that when I finished the Harry Potter book, I closed the book, and I started to cry. And the reason I started to cry, even though I couldn't fully articulate it back then, was I then, after being swept up into this world where good defeats evil, and love and friendship together bound always wins in the end. I had to leave that world and I had to go to the real world where love had failed, evil seemed to be winning, and there really just wasn't that much wonder or awe in the world that I lived in. And what pained my heart so much was there was something deep in me that connected so much to these stories, the beauty of them, and then it pained me to realize that real life wasn't anything like that. So fast forward a little bit, a lot of it, I ended up becoming a Christian, 
And when I became a Christian, fast forward even further, I was talking to our lead pastor at the time, and he was like, hey, we don't have a college ministry here at all. And I was like, yeah, we probably should. We're close to ASU. And he's like, why don't you get on campus and just figure it out. Quit your job and start talking to people, and you could do like evangelism. And I was like, that sounds really cool, because I was excited about being a pastor. So I quit my job. I jumped onto campus at Arizona State, and I went down to the bottom of the ASU library, and I sat there for like an hour. And at first, I was like, I'm going to pray before I go. And then like an hour in, I was like, I've, I don't pray an hour long anytime. I am scared to go talk to people. <laughs> um, and then I, in just total panic, I just quit my job. What the heck am I doing? I felt like God told me just to get up, go, and I'll tell you what to say. And so everything that I'll tell you guys today is just kind of reflections on me stumbling through and trying to figure this out for the next couple of years since then. And that was about seven or eight years ago. So I would love for you guys, we're going to kind of just go through a story in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17. And I'll just be reflecting on some of the things that probably if I studied this passage more, I would have been able just to learn from it instead of like stumbling around and figuring it out for the last couple of years. So go ahead and Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> they'll put some of it on the screen, but I'm just going to read like one little line here that's not even going to be on the screen there. And it's Acts 17, um, and I think in verse 18. So Paul is preaching, and it says he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So some, a question that I got obsessed with early on was, what do you have to say to make it count? When I say evangelism tonight, what I'm talking about is when we open our mouths and we speak good news. So if you're talking to your friend that you're thinking about already, what do you have to say for it to count as evangelism? And that's kind of something I thought about all the time, because kind of comically in here, Paul just, it just says he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. If you go back all the way in the beginning of the gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus starts off his ministry preaching the good news, and then it gives a quote exactly what Jesus says. Jesus says, good, the good news is, the kingdom of God is at hand. The end. That's it. That's all he says. And according to Jesus, that is the good news. And so if these little like things you could technically boil down in real small words, what the good news is, is the message of Jesus and the resurrection or the kingdom. Take your pick of one of those two short phrases. Why can I go say that to somebody in some of your college classes, at your work, in your family? How come I can't just say that and people go, oh, that's really good news. Why not? Like, if that's actually the good news, that's the gospel. Hey, the kingdom of heaven, it's here. Why can't I just say that and people be like, wow, that is such good news to hear? Completely out of context. Yeah, you guys started shouting out. See, Corey said you wouldn't be shouting out, but he doesn't believe in you guys. So, <laughs> if it's good news, why do people fail to hear it is actually good news? news. So that's kind of the big question I want to ask is exactly how do you make this good news sound like good news to people? How do you see it as good news even to yourself, honestly? So another story, 
on campus at ASU, me and my friend Mark start going for a walk, and we're praying for ASU. And Mark looks at me, and he says, hey, I got a real strong feeling that God wants me to go talk to this guy sitting over here underneath the pillar. I was like, go for it, dude. And so we start walking over, <clears throat> and he walks up to this guy, and he says, hey, man, sorry to interrupt you. This is totally crazy and awkward, but we've been walking around campus praying something that we do, and we feel like God wanted to come talk to you. Do you know anything about God? Have you ever heard anything about God? And the guy looks up at Mark in confusion and surprise and then begins to start speaking Spanish. And Mark panics and then begins to try to keep telling him something in English. He's like, well, you know, like, I wanted to talk about, like, God and, like, have you heard anything about and then he has this moment where he looks at me and he's like, I don't know what I'm doing, and then just walks away. And so I <laughs> just follow him away. And that was the end of our story with whatever this young man's name was. And what's funny about that is technically it could have said, hey, I want you to know that the kingdom of God is at hand. Have a nice day. And technically I would have been preaching the good news to him. Technically. But we all, you guys all know, that's ridiculous. Why is that not actually preaching the good news? Because he had no language to hear it. We weren't speaking the same language in that moment. Now think about how complicated this gets. If you start trying to have a conversation with somebody and you say the kingdom, what does kingdom mean in our culture? Nothing, there's no equivalent. Nobody uses the word kingdom. What about sin? in popular American culture. It's got years of baggage and confusion and all kind of associations. So as soon as you start trying to talk about good and evil and sin and God, there is all kinds of language bar barriers and breakdown. And so a lot of what is going on when you actually open your mouth to speak is you need to know exactly what language we are talking in right now which immediately makes it a conversation that demands love and hospitality. You have to begin with a common language. So, how do you practically do that? And I would love to just talk practical with you guys from tonight as I can. So in the book of Acts, there's just this little moment right here in Acts chapter 17 and verse 22, and you guys can put that one on the screen. It goes, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So even before Paul opens up his mouth, there's a couple things going on. He's been walking around the city, you can imagine, for a while. He has been asking people questions about what culture's like around here. He's been working with people. And even has been watching very closely how the day-to-day -day life goes for people and paying special attention to how they worship. He notices that there is this weird idol that just says, to an unknown God. And that's the beginning language that he uses when he begins to preach the gospel. How do we do something like this to the people that we love in our lives? 
to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our roommates who do not know the good news about Jesus. How do we do this? One of the best things that I have learned over the years in how to do evangelism is probably boiled down to talk a lot less and just listen. You can do so much. Like, you want to be a good evangelist, whatever that might mean, get really, really good at being curious and asking questions to the people that you love. And here's, here's why. You see Paul just did it naturally. I mean, behind that context, he is figuring out a whole lot of what about these people believe ahead of time before he even speaks. So think about your roommate. What do they believe? Every human being fundamentally believes something about the world. Doesn't matter what religion they might ascribe to, every single human being believes something about the world because as human beings, we cannot function outside of that. When you wake up in the morning, you believe that it's worth waking up in the morning. Otherwise, you don't get out of bed. So everybody has a story that they tell themselves. They might not be fully aware of it. And what you need to do before you can ever begin to love people in this context is ask questions. And if we were to boil down our faith to the most simple categories of the story and how we get to this good news piece, and maybe you guys, this would be familiar with you, but it would be three things. Creation, fall, redemption. But let's put it into like maybe more of just regular categories for us. What is good, true, and supposed to be about the world? That's creation. What is broken, what's not supposed to be, what's unjust, what gives us anxiety, what frustrates us, what is wrong with the world? And then lastly, what's gonna fix it? Redemption. Now, we can all answer that with the story of the Bible and ultimately with Jesus. But every other human being on the face of this earth also has answers to these questions, even if they don't fully articulate them all the time. So we need to know, for the person that you love, what do they assume about these questions already? But I wouldn't, I wouldn't jump in and ask your roommate, hey, what do you think about creation? They're going to look at you just as confused. But honestly, a lot of these questions get really easy. Hey, what do you really love about the world lately? Hey, what have you been really enjoying? What are you grateful for? Some of the creation ones get easy with the people that you love if you're actually in their life because they tell them by what they already do. What is your friend or your roommate or your family member tap into how God made the world good and true and beautiful in art and how they speak and how they love? Like, what do they tap into about the world that's supposed to be? And so the best thing ever you can do for a lot of evangelism is just ask these questions. If you don't know the answer to them, ask people. The second one's the easiest because everybody tells you all the time what is wrong with the world automatically. We just love to complain. But the thing that's sad, especially in America, is nobody actually listens. What we can do to be the posture of love and hospitality of Jesus before the conversation even begins, before you ever open up your mouth and say anything about Jesus, is actually listen to people. Hey, what's been frustrating lately for you? Hey, what's been just making you feel really worried and stressed out lately? I'd love to hear. What really pisses you off in the world lately? What about what makes you mad in your life? 
Some people just automatically have told you this already. But you can begin to ask again and again. And all of it is going to reveal what they assume about the world. It's going to show what they assume is good and what they assume is bad. And then the last part, redemption, what's going to fix things? Mostly for this, you just watch how people live. Everyone is trying to find some way to fix the brokenness in the world, in themselves, if it's as simple as Netflix binging at the end of the night because I'm really tired and I can't find rest. And so the first thing I learned, if you want to do this well, if we want to be a witnessing presence and open our mouth and speak good news, don't speak. Just ask questions, which takes a lot of the pressure off when you think about it. Like if you just heard nothing else I said for the rest of the night and you thought about the one person that you want to share the good news with, just don't listen to anything else I say for the rest of the night. Just do this. Take them out to a meal or invite them into your life and ask them every single question you can think about that might tie into what they believe about the world. And don't have anything to say at the end of it. Because if you're guiding a conversation to a certain end, then it's manipulation. So instead, just ask people questions, genuinely listen, like, wow. At the end of it, they should be like, you really, like, care. I do. Thanks for telling me. If somebody asks you a question back, go for it. That's a natural human thing. But you don't have to have any pressure at that point to say anything. So, listen. The next thing, look at what Paul does in Acts 17, verse 26. I'll just start in verse 20, 24, I guess. So the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in the temples built by human hands. And he is served, uh, he is not served by human hands as he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everything life and breath and everything else. So verse 26, he goes, from one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Just that little line. It's very simple. Basically, what Paul is doing is he is summarizing all of Genesis and the story of Adam in one little one-liner. He's just telling them a story about God and what he's done in this world, but he's doing it in the most succinct, simple way that they will understand in their language. When we begin to open our mouths, what do we actually say? Because you can't just keep asking questions and then you can do the whole like, I'm just going to live in a way that looks like Jesus and looks like the kingdom. And at some point, people will be like, they'll, they'll know then that I do, I'm like this because I'm a Christian. And unfortunately, that's just really not the case. There's lots of other major world religions that have nice people and people could assume that you're one of them. <laughs> And so at some point, we do actually have to open our mouths and speak. But there's a lot of ways that we can do that where it's not like high-pressure sales. Because <laughs> in the end of the day, just to take the pressure off, not a single person in this entire room is ever going to convert anyone. I never have. The Holy Spirit does. If you just happen to be there in the moment where someone decides to give their life to Jesus, that was a lucky moment that the Holy Spirit invited you into. It has nothing to do with how winsome you are with how you speak. So just take the pressure off. You're never going to convert anyone. Don't try. Instead, 
love people. And the way you can begin to do that is by telling stories. So what stories do we tell? When you speak, what actually counts? My favorite, if you go and read in the end of Matthew, Matthew has this story of Jesus where, maybe some of you guys have heard it, where this woman uh, anoints Jesus' feet for burial with oil, and everybody's flipping out around Jesus. And they're like, dude, he could have sold that for a lot of money and given it to the poor people. And Jesus is like, relax. First off, she's taking care of me for my burial. And then there's this little one-liner that I love in this story, where Jesus goes, everywhere the gospel is told, the story will be told in remembrance of her. And when I first heard that story, I was like, oh my gosh, it unlocked. Anytime you're telling a story about Jesus, it counts. <laughs> Which makes it a lot more simple and easy. Now, what we're doing is we are just telling stories. I started reading this really cool book called Wired for Story by Lisa Cron. That's why I had you guys imagine a story. Every single story you read, you watch everything. Your brain is hardwired as how God made us as human beings constantly to be on the look for how does this connect to my life? How do I see myself in that character? And how do I feel what the characters are feeling? Which is really cool because storytelling then is this amazing way where I can just start telling a story and it invites you to think and live in that moment for that story. So what stories do we tell? Tell stories about Jesus. But here's how you can do it in the most amazing way. I was on campus this last week. I met a guy named Brian. And we were talking about anxiety. And we were talking about mental health. And we were talking about his uh, history in uh, Afghanistan and just some experience he's had in life. And he said a couple of phrases, which I won't share tonight. And in response, I was like, man, to be honest, that really reminds me of the story of Jesus where he's talking about the lilies and the birds. You ever heard that story before, Brian? And he's like, what? And I'm like, oh my God, it's so good. I got to tell you. So I just start talking. I go, yeah, so Jesus is teaching about anxiety and he's teaching about worry. And I just tell him the story Uh, Jesus narrates of the lilies, and I'm not quoting it verbatim. I probably messed up a good couple chunks of it. But I told the story about Jesus that I knew that came into my mind in that moment. And I was like, ah, man, that just reminds When you said that, that reminded me of that story. And I I love that story about Jesus. Do you want to become a Christian? (laughs) No, I just told the story. And I was like, hey, you just reminded me of that story. He's like, oh, that's interesting. That's cool. Anyway, so what are we going to get for lunch? And I just move on with the day. So much pressure is put on for changing human lives. Again, you're not going to convert anyone, but a lot of us assume we will, that we're going to have this moment where you're going to communicate this message where your friend's going to hear it and go, oh my gosh, I believe now. In that moment, because of what you said. That's just never going to happen. Most of us are Christians because 10 people talk to us or 10 people did something in our lives that made a huge impact. One through nine saw no results, and 10 saw something happen. 
Just be one through nine, guys. Just be one through nine. Be the people who just constantly are dropping in seeds about who Jesus is and the stories that you know or the parts even of your life where God has connected. Man, that, that totally reminded me, Brian, uh, man, I remember when I got home from the hospital with my firstborn son, I never had anxiety before, and suddenly I did. And then I start telling him the story of what God did in that with me. And so all we got to do is continue to tell stories over and over and over again. The next thing is speak with love. So this is in verse 27 of Acts 17. Paul goes, uh, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring, which is really interesting because those two little quotes are Greek philosophers that don't care at all about Jesus and do not believe in the God of Israel. This would be the equivalent of me preaching the gospel and pulling lyrics from Ludacris. Right? I mean, it would just be, I'm just plucking something. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's just like he said. And then I continue to tell the story of the gospel, which is amazing. Because what Paul just basically did for all of us is set this example of everything's on display, nothing's off limits. But what it did more than anything is Paul just spoke with an incredible amount of love. Because think about it, he is having a conversation of absolute hospitality. He is not communicating the good news about Jesus and saying, okay, let me have you understand all of my story, all of my culture, all of my stuff first, and then I'll be able to communicate the good news about Jesus. Instead, he just starts connecting the dots in any way he can through everything in their story, in their culture, in their life which is, as a follower of Jesus, can be really, really fun. (laughs) Because now, you can just be creative. Here's one of the most, I think, wonderful ways to do evangelism in the most simple way. And I, I learned this from Jim over at Redemption, so I can't claim origination of the idea, but he calls it affirmational evangelism. And it goes something like this. Uh, When my son, uh, Asher, my firstborn son, was born, he was born really early. And so he spent the first seven months of his life in the hospital, which meant that me and Lexi spent the first seven months of his life in the hospital. And I no longer was able to be on campus or really do much of anything. I was telling some of the guys that our pastors there came to me and were like, we now dub you as pastor over Asher and the hospital, go and do that. And so that's what I did. And so every day, all day, I was just at the hospital. And so really, I had a handful of very small relationships in my entire life for a long period of time. Nurses. I got really close with nurses. Nurses were my whole life. And the nurses there that I was with all day long began to make friends because they're taking care of my son. And 
I mean, when you're really close to that kind of stuff, I just started thinking a lot about them and, and what they knew about God and how could I care for them because all they're doing is serving me. And so what I did one day is I went up to one of the nurses named Trina and I, we talked about a lot about life but not about faith. And so I said, hey, Trina, I was super curious and just wanted to ask if you were a Christian because the way that you take care of my son, you look exactly like Jesus. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah. I mean, I see you in here every day with these little babies who cannot speak and you speak for them and you advocate for them and you care for them and you put priority over their lives. And when I see you, it makes me see and think about Jesus when he began to teach the world that the kingdom of heaven belongs to little children. And I feel like you see something in my son and other babies that a lot of people don't notice, but God sees and smiles. What was cool about that? One, I was just loving her honestly. I just wanted to affirm what I saw in her life that was good and true and beautiful and looked like God in the form of Jesus. The other thing that was really cool about that, there was no pressure. <laughs> I didn't ask her, like, do you want to come to church? I didn't say, hey, like, I just immediately threw out there, we're having... We're not gonna have a long conversation afterwards. I'm just affirming who you are and putting on the table this conversation about deeper things of God and life and Jesus and the good news about him. And then I left it there. The, the, really, the trick is, guys, is we're so scared of having the first conversation. You're, you're better off instead of having like one 100-minute conversation, have 100 one-minute conversations. Just a bunch of little moments where you just speak into people's lives in a way of love. And so affirmational evangelism, here's how you do it. Think about right now, right now, someone in your life that doesn't know Jesus or you're just not really sure where they're at. Can you think about them? All right, I know you got somebody. Think about one way they act like Jesus, or one way they act like the character of God. Are they creative? Do they serve others? Are they sacrificial? Do they love in a way that looks like how God loves? Do they speak up for those who have no voice? Are they kind? Are they hospitable? Are they really good at hosting dinner parties? All of those things belong to God. All of those things are demonstrated in our Lord and Savior as he lived in the world. So all you gotta do is just tell him, hey, I want, I know this might be crazy and really weird, but I just wanted to pay you the highest compliment I possibly know how. You are incredibly generous and you act just like how I see God. That's it, that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> I, I have said that kind of stuff to the most staunch, angry atheists ever. And you know what I've learned? Nobody really gets that mad about being compared to God or the savior of the universe. <laughs> so speak with love. When you open your mouth to speak, don't begin with sin and, and the hurt. I mean, maybe there are times for that, but if you've never spoken of any of these type of things with your friends or, or neighbors, speak with love. 
One of the last things, have a non-anxious presence. So if you look at the end of this story in verse 32, Paul, the apostle, wrote so much in the New Testament. Surely he's an incredible evangelist and just by preaching people get saved. Well, at the end of the story, it says when, verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, which is really dramatic. I don't even know what a sneer looks like. But they sneer. Others said, we'd like to hear you again on the subject. And at that, Paul left the council. It says some of them became followers of Paul and believed. So you got three categories of people at the end of this story with a really good sermon, like really good. So even if you're really good at sermons, like perfectly practiced evangelism, some people are going to laugh at you, and some people are going to be curious to hear more. And then at some point, maybe some people will believe. So here's, like I said at the beginning, none of you are responsible for converting people. And in these conversations, it's always been really fun for me to be like, I don't think I can change your mind on anything. I don't want to. I want to tell good news stories so that at some point, I'll be able to know you enough in love so that when I say the good news about Jesus, you hear it and you go, that is good news. Here's how I went from Harry Potter crying there is no spot in the world for this to following Jesus. I started spending time with some guys who really cared for me, and we started reading the Bible, and they started living like Jesus in a way I'd never seen before. And then when they started speaking about the Bible, they started speaking about the Bible as a story, a big, grand, beautiful story with wonder and good defeats evil. But here's the catch. I get invited into it. Now, everything in little Jake, who's reading Harry Potter, sings at that good news. That is what we're after. And until you can think about how to do that with this person that you're thinking about, love them really well, listen really well, ask really good questions, And then when you speak, just tell stories and affirm the goodness of God in their lives. So I want to wrap up, but I'm going to give you guys like the most practical way to just start doing this right now. Okay? Close your eyes. I want you just to say a two-second prayer. God, bring to mind someone that you want me to pray for who does not know you. Okay, and now if you got that person, and if you don't, it's okay, you can do this later, take out your phone. Go ahead, take out your phone. I'm not gonna make you do anything crazy. I'm not going to make you call him or something. Take out your phone. And what I'll invite you to do, so you don't have to do it. You could just get on Instagram for a second and pretend. 
But what I'd invite you to do is go onto your alarm app and set an alarm for whatever time you want, right? So you could set it for right now, 8.06, or you can do it at any time of the day, to go off every day with that person's name on the alarm. And every time the alarm goes off for seven days, you pray for them. And all you pray is this, God, make space for me to be able to listen to them and speak with love to them. And just do that for seven days. At the end of the seven days, if you are so bold, ask them to spend time with you. And if you are crazy brave, ask them questions about what they think about the world. What are you frustrated about lately? What are you celebrating lately? And just start there. Okay. Set your alarm, pray for them, and go. And it's the most practical thing that I can give you guys to start. And with that, let's, uh, let's pray. You can go ahead and buy your heads and close your eyes if you want. And I'll pray this, Jesus. Uh, there's really nothing I could say possibly that could ever have the power that prayer does. And so I ask that you would use just these little moments of prayer to bring your kingdom on earth, to transform lives, to be able to deeply know you. Let us have a non-anxious presence where it is not, the kingdom is not on our shoulders, but it is on yours, Jesus. And then make us so bold and so faithful as to open our mouths and speak love. And it is in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.